Hello everyone and welcome back to Holding Fast to Faith. I'm your host Brett Hill and Hebrews 10:23 says, "Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised." It's time once again to learn about and lean on some of God's faithful promises. So, grab your Bibles, clear your hearts and prepare your minds to receive the precious word of God. Hello everyone, it's a windy and stormy day here in Tennessee, but we have uh, got the Word of God behind us, got the hand of God's favor upon us, so things are going to be just fine. Today our lesson is on living a declaration of faith, and I, I want to talk to you about this today because we have a declaration of faith that we need to believe in, we need to follow, we need to trust, and uh <clears throat> I just want you to know that you need to know what you believe in. You need to understand why you believe it because people will challenge you and they'll, they'll, uh, put you to the test. And so you need to know why you believe what you believe. And so living a declaration of faith, this is, this is my declaration of faith. It's our church's declaration of faith. And I'm going to share it with you today. I know there's lots of people around the world that, uh, are listening in that may not be of one denomination or another or what have you, but, I'm going to share what we believe today. So if you've been questioning over the last few years, uh, just what does this pastor believe? Boy, he sounds like he's really on fire and he, he really preaches a lot of the word of God. Well, uh, today you're going to hear it. And the title of our message today is Living a Declaration of Faith. <clears throat> the first point that I want to make in our declaration of faith is God, by inspiration, has guaranteed the accuracy of every word of Scripture. We do not have to question the Word of God. We we should never question the Word of God. We we have the proof in His voice that He has inspired it, and the Scripture tells us it is through His Holy Spirit that He has inspired the writings of the Bible, all 66 books. We We can believe in that and trust in that, and all of the original documents of, of, that makes up our Bible, they were written in three different languages originally. And the, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And in our New Testament, we see Aramaic and Greek languages in the original text. And we declare it is authentic and inspired by God himself because in the book of Matthew, I want you to understand this, in the book of Matthew, Jesus declared that every jot and tittle of the word of God would be fulfilled. And a jot and tittle may not, may, you know, sometimes we think maybe that's dotting the I's and crossing the T's, but when you're writing in the Hebrew and in the Aramaic and Greek languages and they're, they're using a brush stroke, back, back when they were using small little <clears throat> pens and small little brushes to, to make strokes, to, to create letters and shapes. And in their languages, a jot was a certain move of the brush. A tittle was a certain move of the brush. And so Jesus is declaring that every single little stroke of the pen that was used to write his word down will be fulfilled. And that, that's good news to us. We can trust in the word of God. Even when you can't trust in yourself, even when you're not faithful, you can go back to the word of God. And this is a key answer for anybody that is listening to me today. You can go to the word of God, find your answer, be able to lean on that answer and trust on that answer and get yourself back in right standing with God if you've stepped out. Don't think that because you fail a 
because you mess up that there is not an opportunity for you to get back right with God. He's always faithful and he says in his word that I am always faithful and just that if you call out to me and you repent of your sins that I am faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. So you need to be sure that you can trust the word of God and everything that is written in it. Now, the apostle Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, that the Spirit of Christ was in the prophets of the Old Testament as they spoke of the sufferings of Christ. It, it was the Holy Ghost power that was telling the prophets what to, what to speak, what to write down. They were moved by the Spirit of God himself, and so they were speaking of the sufferings of Christ. When Jesus said, in, you can search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, for they are they are, that testify of me, all the way back to the book of Moses, uh, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all of those books are testifying of Jesus Christ. Even back then, Moses was speaking of Jesus. Verse number 20 here in 1 Peter and 10 says, the prophets spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit encouraged them. The Holy Spirit put the words in their heart for them to speak. And that's why we know that it is inspired by the Holy Ghost. And as a spirit-filled, full gospel-believing church, we believe 2 Timothy 3.16 when it says all scripture, not just some of them, not just the New Testament, but all scripture are profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Many churches don't believe that now, and, and by that I mean righteous living. A lot of people preach that we don't need to be righteous now because Jesus was righteous for us and, and they, they don't think that they need to follow his commandments. They don't think that, and I hear plenty of people saying that there's, that the Old Testament is old and it's done away with. It's, it's not done away with because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So, and he didn't come and fulfill the Old Testament, uh, and throw the Old Testament away, he came and fulfilled the law of sin and death, and he met every requirement of the prophets. If we throw away the prophets, then we throw away everything that is evidence that Jesus Christ is who he is. The, the Old Testament is still good to point you toward who Jesus Christ is. It is the scriptures, the Old Testament, testifies of who Jesus Christ is. It is still needed today. And, and with that, we'll go to article two of our declaration. God is creator of all things. He is eternal and he is absolute. Jesus is uh, God come in the flesh, but God the Father is perfect in his name. God the Father has no flaw in either his glory. He has no flaw in his holiness. We believe in the trinity of our perfect God. The Father begot the Son. The Son sent the Holy Spirit, but all three work together as the Godhead. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We saw in, in Matthew 28 and 19 and 20, where Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He spoke to baptize in all three names. Why? Because they're all equal in the Godhead and they all serve as one God. So the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, 
They are distinguished from one another by name, will, word, and nature. The first person in the Trinity is the Father because he has a son from eternity. The Father is the one who, who, who begot the Son through the Holy Spirit. And in contrast to adoption or creation, the second person in the Trinity is Son by nature. And the third person in the Trinity is called the Spirit because he proceeds from both Father and Son. The Spirit of God himself comes from both Father and Son. And if you are to believe the Bible in its fullness, you have to believe in the Trinity of God, three in one. And the Old Testament tells us that our God is one God. And, it, and we know that the scripture says there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Ghost. Jesus himself, before he ascended into heaven, uh, standing on the seashore with his disciples after he resurrected, when he descended up, he told them, go in all the world and preach my gospel. I, I want you to baptize people in the name of my Father, in the name of me, the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the one I'm about to send in a few days. He told them to baptize in three names which are equally in one God. So article three of our declaration of faith tells us about a child that was born of a virgin birth. Now, we believe that Jesus, the son of God, is equal to God the Father in both glory and power. And when we say Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, this refers to the conception of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, uh, uh, as a as a child that was conceived by the Holy Ghost and the Virgin Mary gave the birth. So it refers to the conception of Christ. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and accounts for the origin of his human nature and it accounts for the origin of his divine and eternal presence. His human nature, because he's born of man, someone that he actually created, Mary, He's born of Mary, the virgin, who had never been with a man, so seed of man, the corrupt seed of Adam, hasn't touched Mary, and, and so Mary hasn't known a man, and so the Holy Spirit that didn't have a corrupt seed is the one that conceived, and therefore Jesus has a divine human nature and also has a divine eternal existence because of this combination. And divinely breathed scripture tells us that Mary was a virgin and had known no man. She remained a virgin until after the birth of Jesus. And this virgin birth allowed for a fulfillment of Christ being both God and man at the same time. God conceived by the Holy Spirit and man born of a created woman who was the virgin. And this very nature allows him to become prophet, priest, and king, all while fulfilling the requirements of the law. So his death became our substitute for the removal of our sins and the fulfillment of our redemption took place when Jesus was raised from the dead. So as king, Jesus is ruler of all things. As priest, Jesus is an everlasting intercessor for us. And as prophet, he don't just prophesy about the revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. And according to Hebrews 7 and 24, the priesthood of Christ is eternal and unchangeable. And this gives us, you and I, hope in reconciliation, knowing that God made Christ to be the righteousness of God. And we became righteous through our faith in Christ when we asked him to come in our heart through faith in him. Now, article four says, why do we need a savior? 
and an intercessor. We, we understand why we need a savior because sin came into us through Adam. Sin, uh, Adam messed up in the Garden of Eden and mankind's sin was corrupt from that day forward. Sin is a form of transgression and an impurity of God's nature and both are a violation of God's moral nature and it's breaking God's commandments is what causes a transgression. Sin is a corruption of personal nature in our minds and our hearts and in our will. And, and we have that by nature. All of us have both a spiritual nature in us and a fleshly nature. And that fleshly nature always wants to come back. Even when you're saved, you, you have a fleshly nature in us. Paul had that battle in him when he was speaking in the book of Romans. He said, every time that I try to do right, the wrong thing pops in my mind. I wind up doing what I don't want to do. And, and that's because of that fleshly nature. And scripture tells us to crucify that nature daily. And many people like to hold their flesh hostage. And what I mean by that is instead of crucifying the flesh, they feed it three meals a day, give it health care and benefits. And, I, and I'm not talking about your human body. I'm talking about your fleshly corrupt nature, your mind, the, the mind, will, and emotion, your soulless realm that tells you that the old man is still alive and you still get to act out all those old things that your old person was. And, and so the fleshly nature is your sinful nature given to you by Adam and Eve. And you can't crucify anything that you keep feeding and coddling daily. So mankind by nature feeds the flesh. The only exception to this is the man, Jesus Christ. He, he didn't feed the flesh. He, the reason why Jesus never did have this corruption in him is because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit that didn't have that corruption. All it would have taken was one sin and Jesus would have been the same corrupt mindset as we had, but because he knew no sin, because he always fought off the devil. When the devil came to him and said, if you look, all of these cities, all of these dominions of the world, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things all over the world. And Jesus is sitting here thinking, well, you idiot, you know that I created that myself. It already belongs to me already. I don't need to worship you for something that I already have. And they even talks about as he took him up on the high place, cast yourself down. And, and the, as the scripture says, the angels will come and keep you from even hurting your foot and casting it against the stone. And, and Jesus is like, dude, I could step out on this air and walk on air if I wanted to, but this, I, this don't prove nothing to, to anybody or anything because I don't need to prove nothing to you, devil. That's really where Jesus was standing. And I, I know the scriptures don't say that, but when you know who Jesus is, when you see the divine nature of Jesus, he already had and owned everything that Satan was offering him. Satan had nothing new to try to offer. He was just trying to get Jesus to fall for the same trick that Adam fell for. And Jesus is like, hey, dude, I, I know who my daddy is. I know my purpose for being here. I already own everything, including you. We created you. So he, he don't have to bow down to his own creation, and he wouldn't by any chance going to. But the Jesus was an exception to the fleshly nature of mankind. And we are naturally sinful by nature, and he is naturally holy by nature. And our repentance of sin must include Jesus Christ as our payment or, or our payment and intercessor for our sinful nature, or we do not get saved. 
if we don't repent of our sins and include Jesus Christ in it as our death, burial, and resurrection, as our payment, as he came and paid our price for sin and took our penalty and took our death, then we do not get saved. We have to include him in it because he's holy by nature and through faith we become holy through faith. Which brings us to article number five. Our justification only happens through the grace of God given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Justification removes our sin. Justification places the believer in Christ in the judicial position of both innocence and righteousness. Because Jesus Christ took the penalty for the sin that you committed, the judgment has already been passed on someone and double jeopardy cannot be used and put into place here. You cannot go after somebody again for the same crime that they've already paid for. Jesus has paid for your crime. He's paid for your sin. So the justice system in heaven says you're innocent because he's already paid the price. You're righteous because he's righteous. It happens through regeneration and regeneration is the seed of life being implanted into you, the believer. The germination of this particular seed of life is a new nature that comes into you, a spiritual nature, a holy nature, <coughs> and it's also uh, a new creature. Paul said that I am now a new creature in Christ. Regeneration changes the nature of you, the believer. This justification that we are given through Jesus Christ changes our position in relation to judgment and the regeneration we receive through Jesus or through the Spirit changes our nature in relation to righteousness. Let me say that again so that you don't get confused. This justification that we are given through Jesus Christ changes our position in relation to judgment. We've been justified because he paid the price. The judgment's not passed on us. It was passed on him. So justification through Christ changes our position in relation to judgment. We don't have to face it now. The regeneration we receive through the Spirit changes our nature in relation to righteous. Now, because of the Spirit of God, our natural nature should be righteousness. And so justification imputes the righteousness of Christ. Uh, you got to understand me. We received justification through Christ and it changed our position in relation to judgment. So now because Christ has been given all the power. He's been, he's been regenerated. He's the firstborn of the dead and he rose from the grave and all of his, uh, the sins was left in the ground. He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave and we become Christ uh, through faith. We become part of Christ, part of his body through faith. The justification that he gave us imputes his righteousness to us and the regeneration that we receive through the Spirit of God that changed our nature to a righteous nature, regeneration imparts the righteousness of God to us. So Christ's justification imputes the righteousness of Christ and regeneration imparts the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is we, we fit the bill to be just like his son and join heirs with his son and sit on the throne room with him and help being uh, kings and priests in the kingdom of God. And the instrument that makes all this happen is faith. 
faith through Jesus Christ, believing the word of God. And, and through faith, we are totally free from condemnation. And through faith, we receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this brings us to a very touchy subject, which is in our article six, it is holy living through sanctification. Holiness is received by consecration to divine purposes and by purification. And you may say, oh, here we go. He's gonna preach holiness to us. Well, yes, we are because the blood of Christ provided two very special things through his atonement. And one of them is your forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ is what gives you the forgiveness of sins, nothing else. The blood of Christ also provides your cleansing from all unrighteousness. So you are righteous because Christ is righteous, not because you fit the bill to deserve it. So the blood of Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness when he forgives your sins. Conversion itself means separation from the world. So you are converted. You turn around and go a different direction than what you used to go. So you're not following the world. You're not drinking the world's Kool-Aid anymore. You have separation from the world from the conversion that Christ's blood provided through the, the cross of Calvary. So God's word demands a purging experience in our personal beings, and that purging experience is called sanctification. God wants us to live holy. He wants us to live satis uh, sanctified, and he wants us to live set apart from the world for his will and for his purpose. We are set free from the law of sin and death because he fulfilled the law of sin and death. A perfect sacrifice was offered because that's what the law of sin and death required. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, someone who knew no sin, someone that was not of man's corrupt seed that had never had any corruption in him whatsoever, he became a perfect sacrifice. He was crucified innocently and paid the price and he died and he went to hell and got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And then he was resurrected from the grave because he, the, he was the one that had the power to do so in his resurrection gives us our sanctification. It gives us our righteousness. It gives us our holiness because he was resurrected and we enter into him. We receive his death through faith. We receive his burial through faith. We also receive his resurrection through faith as he was standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus talking to the two sisters, Mary and Martha. He said, don't you understand? I am life and I am resurrection. Those who believe in me shall never die. Those who are dead that believed in me will live again, but the ones that believe in me now and have faith in me, you're never gonna die. Why? Because the resurrection power, he's talking about the spirit that's in you. The spirit of Christ has moved inside of you now and that spirit will never die. Sure, your flesh may fall off of you because of old age or sickness or disease or whatever, but Jesus is the resurrection. He's going to resurrect that body that died, but the spirit inside of you, the real you, not the wrapper that you live inside of, the real you is gonna continue on living because of your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ moved in you. Paul said, nevertheless I live, wait a minute, let me get this right, yet not I, it's not me that's living anymore, it's Christ that's living in me. So we need to understand that we will never die because Christ died for us and the spirit that lives in us is an eternal spirit and we are gonna live forever through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and 11 
tells us that we should consider ourselves dead to sin. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says the old man was crucified. That's you, the old you, the old sinful nature, the part of you that nobody ever wants to see again, including you. You don't want to see that old man again. It was crucified with Christ on the cross of Calvary. So Romans 6 and 11, consider yourself dead to sin. Our sanctification causes us to live that way. Which way? Dead to sin. A dead man can't sin. What Christ has crucified in you, leave it dead, church. Don't dig it back up. And that brings us to article seven, and that is holiness. The holiness is the practice in your life. It's the things that you do in your life, your daily practices, your lifestyle, your habits. God's standard of living requires the moral and spiritual qualities of justice, purity, and love. Divine law is dictated by a divine nature. God's divine nature dictated a divine law, and his law is perfect. His law is the perfect description of the holiness of God. So to say that we love God, it must mean that we love his personal being, that we love his law, and that we obey his law. If we don't love his law and we don't obey his law, then it doesn't show that we love him. We must show our love for him through the things that he says for us to do, through the way of life, through the life that he imputed, the spirit that he imputed into us should be living out what he expects out of us and that is to love his law and obey his law. And he tells, Jesus told us, I've got two things that I want you to know. If you get these two laws right, it will sum up everything else. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If, if love is the center of everything that you do, you will obey his law very, very easily. And when we do all of this, the next step is Article 8, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And by the phrase that we call in, the, in our Article 8, in our Declaration of Faith, subsequent to a clean heart, the Declaration of Faith states that the baptism with the Holy Spirit follows the experience of being cleansed. Cleansing means you've been sanctified. Sanctification causes holiness of a lifestyle. Holiness of a lifestyle provides the means for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He don't move into a dirty house. He don't move into one that's got all kinds of stinky past still hanging around. He moves into one that's been cleaned up, sanctified, cleansed. The holiness of living is the evidence that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is welcome to come into your life. And too many people claim to have the Holy Ghost their lifestyle says otherwise, their bad habits say otherwise, their bad temper says otherwise, and their lack of moral judgment says otherwise, and their lack of love and respect for their neighbor says otherwise. The unclean heart does not qualify for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Bad fruit does not qualify for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and too many people in Pentecostal churches today want to fit right into the class of spiritual holy rollers, and they want to be seen as holy and full of the Spirit, yet their lifestyle hasn't changed. And this is actually why the Pentecostal churches catch so much deserved ridicule today. Even the worst of heathens can feel the difference between a shout show and the person next to them and the real thing. The Spirit of God is a real thing, but too many people showboat. 
and showboaters have given the church a bad name. And, and those, look at me, I'm speaking in tongues. Look at me, I'm, I'm running crazy because the Holy Ghost is on me. Folks who don't want to pay the price and live the life required of them cannot have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They can only put on a show for you and it's causing the church to get a bad name. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is for those who know Christ personally, those who have experienced regeneration, those who have been cleansed through sanctification, those who love God's law and obey it, not making excuses to break it. And the reason for all of this is that we are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We need to live like we believe. We need to practice what we believe. People need to see us living the life that we claim that we are living and not just speaking it. That old do as I say and not as I do thing is not going to work. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to live holy and stay holy. My mother has always told me, I've heard her preach it many a times, that if you can live without sin for one minute, you can live without sin for two. If you can live without sin for one hour, you can go two hours without it. If you can live without sin for a day, you can go two days without it. What was she saying? It is a moment by moment choice that we make to stay clean and to stay holy and to keep our lives free from sin. That is our choice. And we need to fight to make that happen in our life. And, and we need to be able to do that in our own lives. And, and it needs to be something that we really focus on because living a declaration of faith, knowing what you believe, knowing why you believe it, and focusing on that. Because we, we have way too many people, and I'll just be honest with you, I've called a lot of people out for it in the years that I've been preaching when I see the fake tongue talking in people that, that come out and just pretend that they're doing something that the Spirit's supposed to be providing for them that it ain't the Holy Ghost. I've even called one lady out and told her she didn't have the Holy Ghost, that she had a ghost full of holes right in the altar of a church that I was preaching at. I didn't get asked back to that church, but I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you the truth about things when, when I see it. And, and when people are pretending, when they are faking, they're walking on very fragile ground because God does not put up with people doing stuff like that in his house. If you don't repent for doing those things, if you don't straighten your life up for pretending and putting on shows, at one thing, it's not going to get you into heaven. You're going to take an elevator ride down and not up because you're not going to take that kind of lifestyle into heaven. God's not going to appreciate that. He's not going to overlook it. Change your ways, repent, get yourself cleansed and straighten yourself out and stop doing these kind of things and let the real lifestyle of the Holy Spirit move into you. Do the work for it. Do the work for it. Spend time in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time talking to the Lord and let Him change your life. And don't worry about other people. If other people are more spiritual than you, just wait. Have patience. God will come to you in your due season. He will, he will raise you up. He will cause you to have the things that he wants you to have as he deems that you are ready to receive them. But you don't need to get in a hurry and try to be a uh, Abraham and Sarah and fabricate God's blessings and go cause worldwide panic and trouble because you decided you want to fabricate God's blessings. Let God be the one doing the work in your life and let him be the one that brings his gifts to you when he decides to give his gifts to you. 
Amen. That's all the time we got for today, but uh, I will finish up our declaration of faith at a, later, at a later date on another podcast. But God bless you, and I hope this helps you, and I hope that you uh, you stay close to God, begin to work toward that righteousness, work toward being holy and living a holy life. God expects it out of us. Yes, we're going to fail, and yes, we're going to make mistakes, but the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us when we do. So don't let that discourage you when you mess up. Jump right back in the saddle and try it again, so to speak, but stay faithful to God. He's always faithful to you, even when you mess up. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one.